Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan Lee Davies, and here is my co-host, Gavia Baker-Whitelaw. Hello. So this week, we watched Todd Solondz's 1995 indie Welcome to the Dollhouse, which won the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival in 1996 and was a surprise box office hit when it was released. It stars Heather Matarazzo as Dawn, an awkward middle schooler living in suburban New Jersey, as she navigates dealing with being bullied at school, dealing with family woes, and crushes on more than one inappropriate boy. So we watched this because uh, one of our lovely Patreon subscribers, Jay, uh, sponsored this episode. If you would like to pay us to watch a movie of your choice, this would be a great time because January is a dead month. So... (laughs) We've had some really interesting Patreon-sponsored movies, and also I'd literally never heard of this one before it was requested, so I was like, this is intriguing. Um, And also it's like this combo of like a really accessible sort of, not teen movie, but in the kind of teen movie trope genre, but also being extremely edgy and very clearly an indie movie, which is a rare combo these days. Yes, well... Apparently, uh, Jay picked this because uh, we had done Muriel's Wedding, which is very different from this in a lot of ways, but has a similar kind of vibe of just like a very awkward young woman dealing with things in a way that's slightly more realistic than most films you get about girls and young women. Yeah, because you definitely get like the bulk of coming of age movies or coming of age comedies, I guess, are about boys like weird boys but weird girls not so much um and this is an excruciatingly awkward 11 year old just painful i i was like watching it and i i was kind of pausing occasionally and i was like what would this be like to watch in a festival context because it was a movie that kind of screened at sundance and then became a surprise hit and it was made for like eight hundred thousand dollars by a filmmaker that probably no one there had heard of and it's like, if I was sitting in a film theater with my like eyes propped open with matchsticks, forcing me to experience this without power over the edit button, I cannot even imagine because it's like, ah, it's so awkward. Oh, it's so well done. <laughs> yes. I really, really, really like this. I'd never heard of it either. I knew of Todd Salons. This is actually the first movie of his I'd seen, which is wild. I mean, his movies don't generally make money, but he's a very well-known New York indie filmmaker, if you follow that kind of thing. This is actually a franchise which we can discuss later, but this is a franchise. He made a sequel to this quite recently, which is wild. But as I said, this did play, it played at Toronto in 95 actually, and then Sundance at 96, which would not happen in that order now, but that was how it went at that time. And it won the big prize at Sundance. And then it made $5 million, which is not a huge amount of money, but for a film that was made for $800,000 is a lot of money. So It's wild to think that this film, which is, as you say, so unbelievably uncomfortable and lo-fi, would make that much money. It's just, like, it's crazy. It says a lot about the 90s as a time for indie cinema. Like, it was such a thing at that point. And also, even though it's not a grunge movie, it sort of philosophically feels fitting for the sort of thing that, like, kind of outsider culture, but not in a cool way, kind of 90s vibe. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it doesn't have that particular aesthetic, but it it starts off in a way where it the very, very beginning feels like it's going to be more conventional than it is because the main character, Dawn, I mean, she looks awkward because she's a 13-year-old girl. She's in the seventh grade, but she isn't trying to be weird. She is trying to like wear normal clothes and just be a normal person 
person and the high school where it's set is just this very generic high school in New Jersey. But the sensibility of the movie is so strange and confrontational in a way that you get that sense of just like, oh, disparity between the superficial tone or imagery and then what the movie's actually doing, I think really, really works. I, again, I haven't seen Todd Solondz's other movies, but he's known for making these very kind of odd, uncomfortable films. He made a movie a few years ago about a pedophile, I think, which I don't know anything about, but I remember it being really, really controversial. I mean, just from the basic concept you can sort of imagine. So he's clearly interested in doing these slightly, you know, thought-provoking, edge-pushing movies. And this has a lot of um, sexual content, not in a way that is inappropriate per se. Like, there are actual children in this movie, and it's not like they're doing anything bad. But the way things are talked about is definitely not the way you would see sort of sex talked about by 13-year-olds in movies today. Yeah, it's kind of the perfect example of when media about kind of teenagers is like the stuff that they would actually be sitting and doing in real life is considered unsuitable for them to watch on screen. Yes. Uh, Because like my kind of 11 to 13 year old life was not as awkward as this child's, but, (laughs) but like the, the stuff there, the kind of the, the sexual content and like the gross behavior is very true to life and realistic. And like kind of the, the way they have these kids like, talking about sex in a way where it's like very aggressive and in your face but they also kind of don't know what they're talking about is like the perfect encapsulation of that kind of conversation and there's like a subplot where this kid is like threatening to rape her and it's quite clear that that's not a real threat and also she's sort of intentionally walking into that position and being like okay I will be up with you to get raped at 3pm today and it's like (laughs) because you neither of you like know what you're talking about I mean, yeah, what's so great about that, I mean, that part of the movie was the most interesting to me. So they're basically, the sort of setup of the film is there's this girl, Dawn, who is like viciously bullied at school. She's Her name's Dawn Wiener, and she's called Wiener Dog by all the girls, and it's this whole thing. And then also she's dealing with family issues. She's the middle child. Her older brother is very nerdy and is also not very popular, but kind of has his own thing going on. And then she has this younger sister who is a ballerina and is like a stereotypically perfect looking child. Like she looks like a pageant yeah, I would just be like, yeah, you would want to murder her. If you're like an 11 year old, it's perfect. And it's like the parents are just so kind of low-key shitty because it's just like a very classic suburban family home. And the mom is just like, oh, the youngest daughter's the best because she's so well-behaved. And none of the adults in the movie have any sense of fairness or intellectual curiosity, which is sort of the defining factor of so much good children's fiction. Yes. So that's the family situation. She clearly resents everyone. She feels unappreciated, which is true. And then there are two different boys who she is involved with in some way, either imagining it in her head or in some real way. So there's the boy who she agrees to be raped by, basically, who is also in her grade, in the seventh grade. 
and he is bullying her initially and that's how this sort of like fake rape situation comes about but then he kind of has a crush on her and they kind of wind up making out and it's this really well executed situation i think because he clearly is a shithead but you see that he has real problems yeah, also. Yeah, it's quite sensitive. And it kind of, yeah, it initially starts off as he's just this really unpleasant kid in a really realistic way that I was just like, this is very, very real. <laughs> and then it's like, you kind of realise that he is just as awkward as her and he's also an outcast, which obviously is a common theme in this kind of story, but they execute it in a really unusual way. Yeah. So that's happening. And then the other boy she has a crush on is this kid and her brother's band. And he looks like a funny adult. He looks one of these teenagers. He looks like a 25 year old and he's in the brother's band. He was 25. He was an yeah. actual 25 yeah, year old. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering about that because I was like, this man is an adult. <laughs> yes. He, so that's like the one teen or tween they cast, clearly deliberately, who's like a grown up person. And he is just like, traditional hottie like he just is an attractive person he's got this long hair and he's like jamming out right and she is just immediately infatuated with him in a way that is obviously just comically absurd because she is because she looks like an infant she's like yes. she's a little shrimp <laughs> and he does not appear to have any idea that this is happening because he's like a grown person he's a grown person um, he's also an extremely self-absorbed idiot so oh yeah yeah, total dummy. And it just made me laugh so much, in addition to making me literally cover my eyes as I was watching it in mortification, as she's, like, in her little, like, onesie pajama thing, sort of, like, mooning over him. I was like, oh, God, no. But all of her outfits were just... Oh. Uh, <laughs> but, like, I'm a, the oldest child in my family, and so I don't think I ever really was in that position exactly because I didn't really interact with kids who were older than me very often but obviously it's a very common thing for like younger siblings to have crushes on their older siblings friends right and this illustrates so effectively how totally absurd that is while also understanding how she feels it very intensely as like a real emotional thing right because of course at that age you're just, like, having feelings about stuff. But also, when you're looking at it from the outside, it's like, you are just not at the same place developmentally <laughs> yes. at all. <laughs> like, no! But she doesn't get that, because she thinks that she's, like, a grown-up. Because she's, she's going on, like, an investigative know. mission to find out how she can, like, have sex with Steve Rogers, the hunky guy from her <laughs> brother's band. And it's like, you can't have sex, you're a child, and you don't know what sex is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my god, I just thought it was so simultaneously funny and sensitively observed and mortifying, which yeah. is a great combination. Um, yeah, but... And from like a male filmmaker as well, who does not have first-hand experience of what it's like to be an 11-year-old girl, so... I mean, occasionally this happens, and you just have to say hats off, congratulations yeah, I've to not you. seen 8th grade, but I know that many people, including you, speak very highly of it. Well, that was definitely the thing that was on my mind a lot watching this. Um, I really liked that movie. I didn't love it quite as much as some people did, I think. But I thought it was really, really good. And the girl in it, whose name is escaping me at the moment, was absolutely fantastic. And she was also, I think, 14 when they made it. So she was the correct age to be in that role. 
And I remember thinking, and I think we, I was, th- I was thinking watching this, we knew we had talked about this at some point, and I think it was when we recorded an episode a couple of years ago on that movie, The Fits, which was this tiny little sort of artsy yes. movie about- that um, in our show notes, because The Fits yes. is just so good. And also like an hour long. So if you want to watch a short movie that's just really interesting and original, The Fits. Yeah. I rewatched <laughs> that recently. It's great. And that's about um, uh, a female dance troupe in- I think an unnamed city in America and they have this sort of um, sort of Salem witch type thing where they all start having these fits and it's unexplained. Yeah, I think that movie was actually the reason why I found out that it's not normal to have an epidemic of fainting at, at your school. I think we maybe no. discussed that in the episode. Yeah, because, I like, think we did. I watched it with my friend and I was like, oh, I remember when this happened. And she was like, what? And I was like, you know, when there's an epidemic of fainting... <laughs> And it turned out that I was part of just a... I was just like, it's just really normal. Sometimes you just faint as a teenager. And she was like, if you faint, you should always call the doctor because that's a medical event. And I'm like, no, it's just pretty normal. All teenage girls just have a... <laughs> this is coming no. back to me now. Yes. Yeah, no, not normal. Not good. No, no. Um, but uh, the main character in that, the dance troupe is comprised of some older teenage girls and then the main character is in middle school and the whole idea of it is kind of like reaching adolescence right and I remember us saying like it's so unusual for films to deal with that age group and then eighth grade came after that obviously and dealt with it in a much more sort of granular specific timely way like so much of it is about Instagram and cell phones and like there's a mass shooter drill on it and it felt very of the moment um but most media either that deals with young people is either about teenagers in high school or about small children. Or, I mean, I feel like there's quite a lot of very mainstream films that feature kids that are middle school age because it's an age where you can have actors that are competent, you know, but it's always really childish. So it's like very kid-like content in a blockbuster where you have a 12-year-old but it's not really reflective of any kind of real human experience. It's just kind of like an avatar. Well, it'll be like in a romantic comedy, there'll be like the cute kid <laughs> who like says jokes or in an action movie, like someone's child who's in danger of being killed and he has to rescue the whole family or whatever. Right. But yeah, it's not to do with real things happening. The other one that just came to my mind was a movie from a couple of years ago called um, Little Children, which is about boys of this age which just if people are interested is great but I think a lot of it is that middle school is just like the worst time so people don't want to relive it and also it's really complicated which I think this movie deals with in such an intelligent way that not that it's better or worse than those other films you just mentioned but I think it deals with the specific thing I'm thinking of more directly which is that you're starting to think about and talk about and deal with sex and other developmental issues in a much more like direct way, but you're also not old enough to really get it yet or like be to a point where it's really happening. And people are very uncomfortable with that, obviously, because like middle schoolers are still children. But as we know from Freud... You're, you're 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 dealing with that stuff but it just like to an adult it feels very uncomfortable right because you don't want to really think about children in that way which like you 
you know, shouldn't, but it just is this uncomfortable territory. And I think managing to thread the needle of dealing with that without it being gross or exploitative is difficult. And I think most people just don't want to And also you have to have that kind of conversation with child actors. Yes. So it has to be like a director with a lot of emotional intelligence and ability to talk to kids. Yes. And there's there's an article I found from a few years ago where um, they talked to Todd Salons and Heather Matarazzaro, who's um, Matarazzo rather, who is the actress in this. And um, they just had some interesting sort of reflections on doing it. And she said, this is her quote, I was very candid about the script. I didn't censor myself when I was young. I thought it was a PG version of what happened in junior high. And I said as much. Todd just did that nodding of the head, the slight smile. Oh, really? That he has mastered so well. But he definitely tapped into a universal truth about a lot of kids being cruel. And apparently her parents, who were on set the whole time, as they're supposed to be for actors of that age, were like quite uncomfortable with a lot of what was happening, as you can sort of imagine. And the scene where she kisses the bully kid, which was the first time she'd kissed anyone, apparently, they just like went for it like, repeatedly. And her parents were just like, um, like, please stop. <laughs> um, yeah, but it strikes me as so real that she was like, yeah, of course. Like, this is exactly what is going on, <laughs> but that adults don't really want to hear that. And I mean, my middle school experience was very boring and not of this nature. And also, I wasn't particularly, I mean, I was bullied a little bit, but not like this at all. And I don't remember really observing this level of situation in school, though I'm sure it was happening somewhere. But nothing feels extreme to the point of, unbelievability at all it's just that it wasn't my exact experience you know and I think there definitely is a tendency to want to whitewash the experience of children which is not how it works something I kept thinking about all the way through this movie was there is this one really great episode of the this American Life podcast slash radio show which we're going to link to in the show notes but it's just a whole episode that's kind of an anthropological visit into middle school and it's kind of focusing on a middle school dance I can't remember the exact specifics but it's really interesting and it kind of opened my eyes quite a lot to a lot of American pop culture that I'd absorbed and just sort of the way that Americans talk about middle school because um, as far as I can tell obviously it, it is hard to be puberty aged anywhere because of all the internal hormonal problems but it kind of seems like America has invented this system that makes the entire experience just so much worse than it needs to be (laughs) because like just listening to this podcast and kind of like drawing lines between that and all the things I've heard and also seen in movies and that sort of thing it's like you have put the kids that are aged like 11 to 14 in one area where they're only like hitting off other kids of the same age and like it's this horrible little melting pot of like gross hormones and neuroses and bullying and everyone talks about middle school as being like the most horrible time of their lives and how traumatizing and gross and unpleasant it is and then like most other places don't just put kids of that age in school together in the UK we have just high school which goes from like 11 to 18 which was my experience and the thing about that is that like you have older kids that can be mentors or at the very least like maybe I don't I don't pretend to say that like schools have like a bunch of 18 year olds looking after 11 year olds but like when you have sort of the more mature influence of the older kids and then like the kids are maybe 13 or 14 
they have like people from ages on either side so it just it just seems to be a better system if you're interacting with a wider age range um just on a regular basis and I don't kid myself I think I had quite an easy adolescence like I you know I had my fair share of like whatever you know bullying and awkwardness and everything else that kind of goes around with being a teenager but I don't really think of anything like to this level of awkwardness or pain whereas when I hear about kind of the way that so many people experience middle school it just seems to be like a completely psychologically traumatizing experience across the board (laughs) yeah my middle school experience the bullying I experienced was like there were basically a couple of like goth boys who literally pulled my pigtails I'm not exaggerating like this happened I was like you know this is just unnecessary the worst was that one of them once walked up the aisle of the desk where we were sitting and like hit me quite hard in the back of the head with a textbook as he was going which you shouldn't do that was bad recommended I've heard and I, of course, was this like unbearable nerd at this point. So yeah. I mean, was I was sort like a little. I was definitely one of the weirder kids, for sure. Yeah. Unsurprisingly. Yes, my friends and I were all the like we were obsessed with Lord of the Rings. Like that was where the you know that oh, was yeah, what we, we were, were all doing. Obsessed. We were Lord of the Rings yeah. too, for sure. <laughs> but that was practically mainstream. So <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It was like reading a lot of fantasy books, etc. But it was not a particularly obscure thing to be doing at that point because the movies were so popular. But I didn't have, like, I didn't have a particularly horrible social time. Like, I had a lot of friends at that point. So a lot of the stories people have about middle school being like the worst years of their lives, I didn't really experience that. But I still think of that as like a, a bad time because middle school is just fundamentally bad like they just shouldn't have it and what I also experienced and obviously I only I lived in one town my whole childhood so I don't I only went to one middle school but I have heard this from other people as well like no one wants to teach middle school because if you want to be a teacher why in god's name would you sign up to teach middle school if you're a like particularly in like intellectually engaged person you would want to go to high school if you're someone who's really interested in child development you do elementary Kids. school because that's yeah. engaging, right? Middle school, like, there's just, it, they're just monsters. You have to just, like, corral around all these, like, almost teenagers. <laughs> yes. So I had a few really good teachers in middle school, but most of them were um, uninspiring to bad, I would say, including the worst teacher by far I ever had in my life. So we were just, like, muddling through this just horrible, like, three years and I went to a school I went to a I lived in a town with really good schools and um I remember the end of my senior year of high school the town had a thing where like the seniors would go back to the elementary schools and all like sit on the front of the auditorium and like talk to the kids like you know answer questions or whatever I remember when I was yeah when I was at elementary school it'd be like these adults had come and it was like really you know wild and I was on the school newspaper in high school and I remember the advisor asking us like, why don't you guys all go back to the middle school? And we all just burst out laughing because we were like, no one wants to go back there. Like, there's just no desire. It's a horrible place. So the fact that we have institutionalized this level of just like misery really doesn't make any sense. It's just bad. Just don't do it. I don't know. We've now really moved off course from the movie, but (laughs) it's all in keeping with the general theme of this being a bad age for everybody. 
should we talk a bit about suburbia? Yes. Which is also depicted very effectively. It's in every fucking piece of just American entertainment. Just the concept of suburbia. I can only imagine a lot of people have done a lot of, uh, you know, PhDs on how various suburban like land development has completely changed the artistic and emotional development of the country just wild yeah i think the combination of the way he depicts the suburbs in this and the unbelievable 90s-ness of everything that is happening yeah, this is like the realistic version of the world we see in Edward Scissorhands, which is, is the movie that I always think about as like the perfect suburb suburbs movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this was, you know, 95, so it's a bit earlier, like they're a bit older than we are. So like the clothes I found delightful and evocative. I mean, they're just so bad. Everything is so bad on everyone. But it wasn't like I was looking at it and being like, you know, shot back to my childhood. But there were definitely things that I recognized in terms of the general setup of the place. Their house, there's sort of like a half basement where they watch TV and they're not allowed to have drinks down there. And it's this big thing. And it's just decorated in the most hideous way. I had a friend whose house was not decorated badly, but had that exact kind of half-basement thing. And everything about the whole like aesthetic and milieu of the place reminded me so much of like houses I was in as a child, in a way that just felt so carefully observed and not designed to be appealing, unlike the sort of, you know, Riverdale-type situation. Kids these days have 90s nostalgia and it's like the 90s were ugly (laughs) so bad but isn't that the same way of like retro every time it's like you can pick and choose what the vintage cool style was oh yeah well we also just recorded an episode on die hard that's gonna be on the patreon and um the all the aesthetic stuff in that is a ton of fun but it's also like ugly which is part of the enjoyment right but like all the women have this huge hair which you look at it and you're just like oh god how did anyone ever like want to look like that but what is sort of appealing to me about both these movies and obviously you cannot get more different than like Die Hard a huge studio action movie and Welcome to the Dollhouse a tiny indie film made for $800,000 is that they both have a lot of attention to this specific moment they take place in from a sort of aesthetic point of view and as a result watching them now you get such a sense of place and time and obviously when the people were making them they're just trying to chronicle or like depict the current moment but it's the same as sort of thinking about what eighth grade would be like in 20 years what also it's like in this there was it was felt like so kind of 80s 90s america specific that there was this like there was all this kind of paranoia about child kidnap and drugs. So they have these sort of references to like just say no and be like you'll be expelled instantly if you bring drugs into this middle school. And then there's this sort of child kidnap subplot. And it's like obviously every parent is scared of their kid getting kidnapped, but it kind of comes in waves where there'll be these outbreaks of paranoia about children being sort of whisked off in vans from places that are clearly very safe. 
is kind of puncturing that a bit because they do have this subplot about a kid being kidnapped, but also it turns out to be their neighbor. So the idea of it being this terrifying, like predatory interloper is not true in the same way that it's almost never true. Yes. The, the drug stuff was very amusing to me. It strongly reminded me of, again, my own experience having to do the fucking dare stuff in school, which like, dear God. And the child kidnap thing also was very, very evocative to me of that. I was in, I just looked up the JonBenet Ramsey case, and that was a year after this, which is interesting because it's so similar. Um, obviously not the outcome, but just the sort of aesthetic situation. Um, so sometimes you just happen upon something that is of the moment. But uh, that terror of that happening, as you say, definitely was... Uh, at a high point in that moment and um, I think the movie does a really good job of invoking that which again obviously is something that people are scared of and if it happens is really horrible and making it funny in this movie without to me I mean it does kind of trivialize it but it didn't feel tasteless if you know what I mean like it, it just felt effective because what like what winds up happening is that Dawn is supposed to give a note to the person who's driving the girl to ballet class and she doesn't do it and then the girl gets kidnapped and so it's like she's racked with guilt over this. But the movie handles it in such a way where the it's a dark comedy anyway and so it all is feels on a slightly different plane. Like obviously it's very re- realistic but also the humor's heightened and it just like I wasn't watching it thinking like oh god this horrible thing has happened to this girl it was just kind of humorous which is a yeah. again But also a it's fine like it kind of fits watch. in with the idea of kids that age having quite a callous sense of humor and also not really understanding one of the main things that people say about sort of adolescent brain development basically is like you just lose a sense of realistic judgment of what danger is so you can be fully aware that all the adults around you are completely obsessed with the danger of drugs and child kidnap. And then this kid who's meant to be this goody two-shoes is still like, I'll go and make an appointment to be raped, you know? <laughs> and the thing that she's concerned about when her kid sister is kidnapped is more that she's guilty about kind of getting into trouble and stuff. Like, obviously she's worried about her sister, but it's like the the real impact is like not fully understood. I mean, watching all the stuff with this, um, this sort of bully kid who she winds up making out with who says he's going to rape her i just and then the fact that she again is like showing up for these appointments to be raped i was just like kids are just all fucking crazy they're all just insane (laughs) little like psychopaths (laughs) but that's just how you are as a child like you just don't understand and the sort of impulse to, not that every child would do that, but the impulse to just do weird things is so strong in all children. And especially if you have a sort of weird family situation, which she does. Not that her parents are like horrifically abusing her or anything, but it's clearly They don't not engage with great. her or understand anything at all. <laughs> no. The worst moment in the movie with the parents is she has this kind of shack thing set up in the backyard which is the special people club that she has with her like one nerdy friend next door. And they want to have a big anniversary party back there. So they tell her that they have to tear it down and she doesn't want them to do it. And the mom has bought like a cake for dessert for dinner that night. And she doesn't give Dawn a piece of cake 
she splits her piece between the other two siblings and they're all sitting there eating it and Don is just sitting there not having dessert. And I was like, this is such a small thing, but such monstrous parenting. Like, you cannot do that. And it's just those little details that felt so real to me and like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> that reminded me also that of... um the sort of club she has and the, the her little friend from next door who she winds up turning on is that the movie is really, really smart about the sort of cascading effect of bullying in that one kid will treat another kid badly and then instead of that making that kid feel empathy, they just turn around. Yeah, because they just want to like, horrible yeah, they want to just else. execute yeah. their own rage on someone else. And also just the pervasive homophobia. Mm-hmm. Which the vast majority of films do not want to touch upon. And the only other one I can think of recently is like the It movies, which I think we were going to kind of talk about as well, because they are like this huge hit series. Like these two movies, which we actually did a podcast on It Chapter 2 recently. But like the whole kind of heart of those films is awkward middle schoolers. And like one of the key things is that like there's homophobic bullying in there, but it's like that is absolutely very realistic. <laughs> What it sort of made me think of with regards to it, I was the first one in particular when they were all teenagers, obviously, and in middle school, in fact, which I, I enjoyed that film. I didn't think it was great, but I certainly yeah, like, first enjoyed myself watching it. I remember everyone just going nuts with praise over the teens in that. And I think all the actors, the teen actors were really charming and good, but I found the writing not great, in fact. And part of it was that the bullies were so unbelievably one-dimensional which like fine whatever it's a you know blockbuster movie they're not trying to be super deep but one of the things I appreciated so much about this film was that he made the effort to humanize that kid and sort of go into what was making him this way yeah and because the because the bullying in this and it or like they're both like unbelievably horrible bullying like there's awful yes. awful unpleasant behavior but there's no sense of sort of the social ecosystem of a middle school in it because Correct. you just have the victims and the bullies and the bullies are just these unbelievably evil foul creatures and it's just like there are complicating factors here right and which is actually what makes this... stranger things so interesting because it's like in stranger things they have the same thing where there's this one character who's this unbelievably awful bully and he has a horrible home life but like there's no redeeming features whatsoever and the audience is so desperate to redeem him that he's like one of the most popular characters in the fandom and it's like he is literally just this monster who wants to murder children but okay <laughs> well i mean obviously there are kids that age who do like really horrible things and i think what i didn't like about the bullies in it was that they were so cartoonishly awful that it felt unbelievable to me even though again you do have some cases of kids that age being really really terrible and in this he's he and his sort of little cronies are really bad but not uniformly so like it's sort of an up and down situation based on his mood essentially and the sense of him being also 13 you get very strongly because 13 year olds are children and stupid so even if like the bully is also like so dawn is 13 is being bullied and obviously is having a horrible time and is feeling that very intensely but the perpetrator is also just a child and like doesn't get it fully 
and is doing this because he's having a horrible time himself. His home life is obviously miserable. And not that that means that it's acceptable or that his teachers or whatever shouldn't be attempting to, you know, help him stop this, but it's not the same situation as like an adult person. And that sense of sort of parody, I felt was really, really well handled in this movie. And I think the kid actors are really good also. And the kid who plays that boy did a really good job of, again, clearly, like, being a little shit. But also you're like, oh, dear. Like, you're fucked up. Which was, I thought, really effective. And pretty uncommon in... I mean, not that there are many movies of this type exactly, because it's very unusual. But you don't usually get the sort of bully kid's feeling exactly like that. And I think a lot of it is that they cast kids who are actually that age. And normally you get like 18 year olds playing 13 year olds and 25 year olds playing 18 year olds. So it's harder to again, really grasp like, Oh, these are actually children because they look so much older. And in this case, it's like, they're literally 13. And so you're like, Oh yeah, you are a dumb child. So, you know. Um, So like before we wrap up, I mentioned earlier that this movie is a franchise um, a lot of Todd Solondz's movies are connected, but kind of the two that are specific to this one are Palindromes, which was a movie that came out in 2004. Um, all of these films have like much better known actors in the cast by this point. So like Jennifer Jason Lee was in this one. And then Wiener Dog, which is his most recent movie that came out in 2016 that features Greta Gerwig and Danny DeVito and Kieran Culkin and like a bunch of well-known actors. And both of those are sort of connected to this film and sort of the family we see in this movie. So Palindromes opens with the funeral for Don Weeder, the character from this movie. And I think Morgan found like an interview that's kind of talking about um, Heather Matarazzo's, like Heather Matarazzo didn't return for these. And she kind of pushed back a little bit at the idea of, uh, of like reclaiming this character. Yeah. It sounded like she kind of felt very protective of the character and wanted to sort of leave her where she was. And um, the, so palindromes, I'm now fascinated by. Yeah, palindromes I remember actually coming out because it's got this, it's got this concept where um, there's several characters whose names are palindromes and they're played by multiple actors. Yeah. And it was not well received at all. And that came out in 2004. And I guess, Dawn kills herself? I don't know. And then he made another film, much more recently, again, returning to these characters, which seems like it has a much more sort of positive approach to the characters, which is kind of interesting. I can't think of an example of a film that or a director who's done this. And again, Greta Gerwig plays Dawn, and Kieran Culkin of Succession fame plays the bully character grown up, which is just amazing. Like- also, Brie Larson was going to be in this movie, and it was 2016. So yeah. like there's like 25 characters in this film. It's an interesting indie project. He must just be quite a personable person who gets on with people at film festivals. But yeah, I mean, I think of Heather Matarazzo as Lily Moskovitz in the Princess Diaries movies because the Princess Diaries movies came out at precisely the correct time for us. I really love those books. And she's got a very memorable face, which is, I also love Anne Hathaway because she was uh, Princess Mia Thermopolis. Um, and she is forever Princess Mia Thermopolis for me. <laughs> Yeah, I looked up um, Heather Matarazzo when we were when I was watching this, and I was like, "Oh my god, (laughs) 
that's who she is. I haven't seen that movie since I was probably 14, whatever. But uh, I, too, remember it very fondly yeah. because it was the thing. And she does, like, loads age. and loads of low-budget indie movies and is very politically active. Is Heather. So, good for her. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. If watching an excruciating movie about middle schoolers sounds appealing to you, we would recommend it. Available for rent for just a couple dollars on the internet. Thank you so much to Jay for sponsoring this and for uh, making us watch it because it was totally not on my radar at all. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, Again, if you would like to force us to watch something of your choice, that option is available to you via our Patreon. We also have uh, a Patreon-exclusive Die Hard episode that is either up now or will be up shortly by the time you are listening to this uh, in celebration of Christmas. So you can head over there and access that by subscribing. And we will forthcoming have Star Wars and Little Women episodes happening so swinging from this tiny little low budget film to some much larger budget movies that are will be available to everyone so we hope you will join us for those thank you so much as ever for listening gavia where can our listeners find you and your work online uh you can find my work on the daily dot where you should be able to read my review of the new star wars film in fact and you can find me on twitter at hello underscore taylor and I am on Twitter at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at OverinvestedPod. We are on Tumblr at OverinvestedPodcast. And our website is OverinvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.